This is um, our continuing discussion of Simon Don's individuation in light of notions of form and information. Chapter one of part two, I can't remember which section we, we're on, but we're on subsection four of that section. Uh, we're going to start from page 199 today. What we've been seeing so far in this part is the way that Simon Don connects the notions of the individual and uh, reproduction in, in vital individuation. And this is based on the analysis that he's given of these types of organisms that have both a colony form and an individual form. There are certain uh, corals and, and polyps and, and things like that. Um, I think they're all, all of the organisms that have these two forms are aquatic organisms, I think. So you have uh, these polyps or um, whatever the organism is that live in this colony form. Uh, in which the multiple organisms share a circulatory system and other functions. And so in some respects, they, they make up one individual. Uh, the whole colony is, is, uh, is a sort of quasi-individual. But then, and, and in that form, they reproduce just by budding. They, they split off to uh, uh, reproduce. Then there's also this individual form. So depending on which type of organism, there are certain conditions under which one of the organisms will will separate off from the colony and have a free-floating or, or independent existence for a certain period of time until it uh, sort of refounds a new a new colony uh, in a new location and then reproduces through budding again. So Simon Don takes these two forms, the colony form and the individual form, as, as corresponding to two different functions in uh, in the sphere of vital individuation. And so even though there's only certain types of organisms that, that have these two forms, uh, we can sort of uh, look at um, analogous functions in other organisms and, uh, and compare these uh, uh, colonial type functions, if you want, if uh, we can use that term. Um, so the, the functions that are characteristic of sort of everyday life and growth and uh, um, metabolism and so on, um, and and then on the other hand, you have these uh, functions that are characteristic of the individuals as individuals. So reproduction, uh, and then uh, as we've also seen, death is is characteristic of individuals. So the the individual um, organism is born, it reproduces, and then it dies um, after a more or less determinate lifespan, um, and uh, and that's. Part of what's characteristic of an individual in the vital sphere is that capacity for for death. And in uh, in subsection three, the last part that we read, it was looking at specifically the different modes of reproduction that you have in different organisms, um, and and contrasting uh, schizogony and gamogony. So schizogony being reproduction through uh, fission or or splitting of the organism which many um, unicellular organisms uh, reproduce in this way. They, 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 one cell will split into two, and uh, then those two cells go on to have independent existence. And then gamogony being the, uh, a form of reproduction in which um, you have two cells that have to uh, join together first before, um, before they again split uh, to to form new individuals. So this is um, sort of a one, one step along the, the path towards sexual reproduction, but um, in, in many organisms, there's no differentiation of, of 
of, uh, of male and female. Um, and, uh, and so you have two individuals that are basically the same in structure that fuse and then they split twice and, and form four new organisms. And so Simon Don, looking at the various forms that these two uh, modes of reproduction take on in different, uh, in different species, he, he looks at the ways that the, the, uh, these two forms of reproduction can be joined together in, in different organisms. So there are some organisms that have both forms of reproduction uh, in alternation so that one, one stage of the organism, uh, for example, uh, lives in, in human blood as a, a sort of amoeba-like uh, creature. Uh, and then if it gets um, taken up by a mosquito, then it reproduces asexually and produces these spores, which the mosquito then deposits in a new uh, human host. And then it goes back to the amoeba-like form and reproduces sexually um, or in the gamogenous form. You can have both, uh, both forms of, of reproduction can occur in the same species uh, in alternation. And sometimes there are even sort of complicated combinations of the two forms where there's like a, a, a fusion and a splitting that happen together. Um, but the, the sort of takeaway that Simon Don derives from these various forms of uh, reproduction is that we can't make any uh, sort of uh, substantial distinction between the two functions that are, that he, uh, argues are, are characteristic of living organisms or, or uh, of vital individuation. Um, so the colony functions and the individual functions can't be sort of split off into two separate substances in the way that uh, Weissmann argues that you have uh, a soma and a, a German, which are um, two distinct substances, uh, which, uh, which have no real interaction with each other. So the fact that um, an individual, uh, an individual cell, or or even um, in in certain multicellular organisms, the whole organism can reproduce through splitting, um, shows that there's no uh, sort of substantial distinction between the reproductive matter or the reproductive substance uh, in the organism and the the substance of the uh, the the soma or the the sort of everyday life uh, aspect of the organism. So uh, the distinction between these two functions can't be reduced to a distinction between two distinct substances is, is sort of the, the message from uh, subsection three. And that's, uh, that's about where we left off. So we'll pick up from there in subsection four. Okay, so um, I'll start reading and then we'll go around as usual. Yeah, subsection four, undifferentiation and de-differentiation as conditions of reproductive individuality. Due to a sort of law of opposition that appears in every problem concerning the individuated being, what the individual gains in density and in substantiality when reproduction is defined as a regeneration and not as a transmission of the German from soma to soma, it loses an independence relative to other individuals. Those species in which the individual's substantiality is most solid and obvious, going all the way to the capacity of never dying, insofar as each individual can divide without remainders, are also those in which the individual's boundaries are the most difficult to trace, because all the modes of association exist in it, and because reproduction often gives rise to intermediary forms between an organism and a society, forms which are hard to name insofar as they're basically mixtures. This disappearance of the independence of the individual can either occur provisionally in budding, 
or definitively, thereby leading to a colony. Even in the colony, various degrees of independence are possible. Budding produces independent individuals, but it all only produces them slowly, and the various fragments first proliferate before separating from one another, as if regeneration were consequently prior to schizogony instead of following it. This preliminary regeneration via proliferation gives birth to a mass of indefinite contours, which protrude weakly at first, then increasingly, and which is then called a bud. Amplification is contemporaneous with the beginning of the process. The region in which the bud occurs is more or less narrowly localized in general, which, according to Rabot, does not imply a special type of properties, opposing it to all the other regions, and which would designate it as the support of a possible German. Localization certainly arises from some secondary arrangement that reverberates throughout the local metabolism. Localization is a secondary incident. It is necessary to merely remark that the parts of the body most capable of detaching and proliferating, like the hydra's tentacles, which play the role of the germ, are not the bud's birthplace. On the contrary, the outer lining of the body is what easily produces buds, which eventually separate from their point of origin. According to Rabot, only local, purely contingent conditions would be able to restrict an absolutely general possibility in its essence to certain elements of the body. This possibility of proliferation would not be the privilege of certain elements of the body to the exclusion of certain other elements. What the two modes of reproduction have in common, budding and schizogony, is the existence of undifferentiated and de-differentiated elements that play the role of reproductive elements while remaining unspe unspecified elements of the body. Before the proliferation of the schizogonic germ, like at the moment of a bud's formation, the elements that prepare the formation of this germ or of this bud conserve or recuperate embryonic properties, i.e. remain undifferentiated or de-differentiated. The localization of budding and its essential characteristics manifest in celenterates of the hydrozoan group. In the hydra, the bud is at a diverticulum of the outer lining that spreads out, expands, and then pierces its vacant extremity from which tentacles appear. The bud seems to originate from undifferentiated cells that actively multiply and insinuate themselves between elements of the endoderm and between those of the ectoderm for which they are substituted. These cells would therefore not be de-differentiated but non-differentiated. They play the role of veritable generative cells. What would give birth to this localized budding would be the cell's distribution under the integumentary epithelium due to unknown influences. The substantiality of the whole individual would be absolutely certain if it could be confirmed that de-differentiation is the sole procedure of budding. It is less clear in the case in which, like in the hydra, there is an undifferentiation in question. But Rabot points out that these undifferentiated elements are not unified into special organs. They are dispersed elements that originally belong to the integuments with which they are in contact. Let's note that to completely clarify this question of undifferentiated elements and to understand their role in reproduction, it will be helpful to see if there is a difference between schizogonic properties and properties relative to the budding of the schizogonic germ. When it is notable in size, like the arm of a starfish or serpent star, this germ is incorporated into the new individual without rejuvenating it. This whole individual therefore has a part of its body that is old, while the other parts are new. During a new schizogony, does this old part have the same properties as those that have been newly formed? Can it still give birth by way of regeneration to a new individual? Systematic experiments in this sense do not seem to have been undertaken from the perspective of a study of neotenization. Um, so here, the maybe the key thing to uh, to 
to clarify is this distinction between undifferentiation and dedifferentiation. So as far as I understand it, um, the distinction here is between um, so undifferentiated um, cells or, or um, portions of the organism are portions that have never been differentiated into uh, specific organs or um, uh, specific types of tissue. Um, so they, uh, from from the early stages of development, are, are still um, in that undifferentiated state, whereas dedifferentiated tissues or or cells would be tissues that that were differentiated and then undergo a process of undoing that differentiation so that they become undifferentiated. So um, uh, in in some of these organisms, so the the, the question is. Um, when these buds arise in a hydra or um, other organisms that reproduce through budding, the question is which parts of the organism um, do, do those buds arise uh, out of? So if, uh, if we assume that there's some sort of strict distinction between soma and germin um, along the lines that Weissmann is proposing, then there should be only specific, uh, specific parts of the body um, like reproductive organs that are capable of forming buds, um, whereas if if there are if there isn't this strict distinction between soma and germin, then we should find that buds can form in uh, various parts of the of the body of the organism. And uh, what what Simondon is is arguing here in the case of the hydra, or or following Rabot, who is who is arguing that. Um, even though there are specific tissues in which the buds form, um, those tissues are undifferentiated so that they don't form something like uh, a, spe a specific reproductive organ. Um, it's just that um, there are certain um, local conditions that, that make it so that only those tissues can form buds. Um, but there's nothing um, about those tissues that is specifically assigns them a reproductive function and, and therefore would, would make them part of the uh, the germin rather than than soma. So yeah, we're still we're still working on this distinction between soma and germin and what the various modes of reproduction tell us about the the validity of that distinction. So I have kind of a general question about this this breakdown of the distinction between soma and german um, which I, th I think i understand this idea of hereditary substance from the last section um, and the point he's making here about localization and how like in the hydra as you were saying it's not localized um, which supports this argument that the individual is more substantial in the sense that it's more of a hereditary substance which means like there's more of a unity of soma and german and I'm sure that he'll get into this later, but I guess I don't really, I don't understand how, um, how useful this, the, this, you know, collapse of this distinction would be in, in describing more complex organisms, because it seems like there is, the more complex the organism, the stronger the distinction between soma and german becomes. And, you know, there's only, only a relatively small part of the organism would be or at least a localized part of the organism would be hereditary substance? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, 
he he has talked a little bit about um, certain uh, organism, <clears throat> certain organisms like um, some kinds of lizards, for example, that um, are capable of regeneration, um, and um, and and so so like for example, uh, lizards whose whose tail can break off and and then they can regrow the tail afterwards, um, and he. Uh, he distinguishes this from uh, reproduction in, because um, the tail, of course, doesn't go on to regrow a full lizard. It's only the, the rest of the lizard that regrows a tail. Um, and so in uh, vertebrates in particular, um, you don't have reproduction through fission in the way that you do in certain invertebrates, um, like the hydras and so on that we've been talking about. Uh, so yeah, in that sense, um, um, there is a, a, a distinction between the what we could call the hereditary substance and and the the rest of the individual. Um, in in the case of, of vertebrates and other organisms that can't reproduce through fission, um, but I think uh, I think what Simondon is arguing here in relation to this distinction between Soma and German is that uh, if, if it is valid, then it should apply to uh, the living being as such uh, uh, and independently of whether or not it's um, uh, or, or whether those organisms can reproduce. So if, if there is really this um, uh, independent, namely the, the German, then it, it that same immortal substance should be present in um, uh, unicellular organisms as well as in multicellular organisms. Um, same uh, substance, um, it should be sort of uh, passed on through um, the whole history of life. Otherwise, we have to assume that there's some like moment in, I don't know, three billion years ago or whatever when the first uh, multicellular organisms arise when suddenly this immortal German appears, um, uh, and uh, and then you know that same immortal substance has uh, has persisted until today, um, which is a kind of a weird hypothesis, uh, and uh, and so I think it's that continuity of of life, um, which. Um, which is the the basis for saying that if if this distinction falls apart when you start looking at reproduction of uh, 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 single-celled organisms and certain invertebrates, um, then it it we can't um, apply it in, as this sort of strict substantial distinction in the case of vertebrates either. Okay, thanks. That's that's really helpful. I, so it's more like the um, it's, he's not saying that this has to hold for that this hereditary substance conception is true of, of vertebrates as well. His point is that this I, this idea of the distinction between German and Soma can't be the basis for like the conception of vital individuals because it's not true of some of these invertebrates. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I think we can sort of compare this argument to um, the argument that he was he gave in the um, the uh, the part on physical individuation, um, where he he looks at the photon concept and the way that it 
um, is sort of useful and, and makes sense in uh, certain uh, frequencies when you're when you're looking at the photoelectric effect um, with ultraviolet radiation. Um, and, and so it, it, it's sort of uh, the concept is useful in those um, restricted domains uh, of the of the frequency spectrum. But then when you go to super long frequencies like radio waves, it starts to become uh, less useful or less obvious how to apply this concept. Uh, and then he argues that if this photon concept is, is um, a valid, if it actually um, corresponds to something real, then we should be able to apply it across the whole um, electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, and, and so because it, it only has this limited application, um, it shows that there's uh, um, the individuality of a photon is, is something only relative uh, to to frequency. Um, so there's it, it's not it doesn't uh, sort of correspond directly to a reality. Um, and uh, so he, he's making a similar argument here that if um, <clears throat> if the soma and German distinction, is uh, is mapping onto something real, um, then it should apply across the whole domain of the living world and not just to the restricted sphere of uh, vertebrates. Um, and and so um, yeah, the it's a uh, I think he would characterize this as a transductive argument because you're you're arguing for. Um, uh, or you're, you're basing your argument on a certain um, homogeneity of a, a domain of, of thought or of discourse. Um, uh, so the same structures that apply in one um, one portion of that domain should apply in other portions um, as well. And and if if they don't, that shows that there's some uh, uh, lack of reality to the the concepts that are applied only in that one portion. Thank you. That's very helpful. Uh, so while, while, reading, while reading this part, I thought of like the uh, becoming, uh, becoming like uh, that is like from 10,000 Plato, uh, chapter 10 something. So as far as I understand, like uh, actually uh, Toulouse uh, must be uh, influenced by Simongdong as far as I understand. But the... Um, the what I understood from uh, the becoming what is the exact uh, title of becoming, but anyway, anyways, like uh, what I understood from the chapter and the discussion, like the other day, was becoming animal, becoming intense, becoming in perceptible and so on. So that's kind of like overwrapping some kind of a distinction, like between. Uh, between should I say individuals like some parts become overlapped overlapped and then that becomes like a, something new and uh, maybe uh, we can talk more about like uh, through those kind of becomings like uh, we can talk about a fact or whatever things like that but here um, Simon Dong is trying to like uh, really scientifically uh, explicate the, the process of uh, kind of reproduction uh, that's kind of like one, for example, one, if there is one individual being, then that it has a kind of hereditary, some kind of distinctive features. And then that is kind of like a, the 
the the category of this uh differentiation. I I I may be totally wrong, so please correct me. And then those kind of differentiative differentiating features can be uh transited or transferred to other being like by by overlapping i mean some kind of features can be overlapped i mean here like a, the word is used as a kind of bird or things like that but but like a, um some kind of features can be moved to the other being and then it can be uh some kind of like a the 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 point of rep uh, reproduct reproduce some kind of like a features in other being um and then undifferentiation is the moment like um it can start like totally it is like a perfect kind of individual being like it can reproduce its own kind of offspring so what i want to say is like there it seems like there are three phases like uh differentiation the differentiation and undifferentiation that is kind of a process of like a something totally different to something similar something same like in terms of a category of category of a being and then by doing that um it uh, sent some kind of features down to the offsprings and then it did offsprings like a not just like a uh it could just says it's only one being and then it can also um how do i say share some kind of features like uh, with other beings um and then it extends like the in terms of like the kinds of beings like things like that so a uh, question is that like um on differentiation the differentiation differentiation is a kind of a can you can 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 you can you say that is kind of three phases of like a process of extension of beings i mean here like um some kind of like a, I mean, the living beings, and the secondly, there is water like localization, metabolism, something like that. It also gives gives me a question. I mean, it makes me quite ask a question like metabolism, like uh, in 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 internal metabolism and out, uh, external metabolism. Actually, it also like has to do with this process as well. So two two questions like regarding undifferentiation, the differentiation, uh, differentiation. Like what I understand is like a that, that seems like kind of a phases like from one being to the other being, and then the second question is regarding localization or metabolism. So oh, I think like it also function very plays a critical role in this kind of process. Sorry, like my question sounds really fuzzy. No, that's good. Uh, there's there's a lot in there. Um... Yeah, so on the question of, of differentiation first, I think there's two different senses in which we can, well, at least two different senses in which we can um, understand the word differentiation. Um, so on the one hand, it would mean um, uh, the distinction between one organism and another. So each, uh, uh, each individual organism has um, certain characteristics, what, you know, color or size or uh, some chemical characteristics or whatever that are um, slightly different from every other organism, uh, even of the same species. Um, and so that would be differentiation in one sense um, uh, is, is just the difference between different organisms. Um, um, but I think the sense in which Simon Don is using it here is a, a different sense. So it, it's um, 
what we could call maybe de developmental differentiation. Um, so it has to do with the way that um, in the development of an organism, the uh, um, uh, and this is specific to organisms that reproduce sexually, um, but you have you start with a fertilized egg, which is um, more or less undifferentiated. It, it, it's uh, uh, it's largely homogeneous in terms of its structure. Each part is similar to other parts. Um, and in the early stages of uh, the development of the organism, the, the egg separates and it divides uh, multiple times. And it, it takes on the form of uh, basically just a clump of cells that are, um, again, undifferentiated. So they, they, um, they, uh, each cell is more or less the same as the others. Um, and, and so there's no um, differentiation of the cells from, from each other. Um, and, uh, and so the differentiation, uh, and then, uh, as the development proceeds, you eventually have, um, uh, uh, differentiation, uh, within that, um, mass of cells so that certain, you know, one end of the, uh, of the clump of cells turns into a head and the other end turns into a tail and, and, and so on. And, and, uh, uh, the the different parts um, eventually become different organs and tissues that have different structures and, and so on. Um, and it's actually, this is a very, um, there's extremely complicated um, chemical interactions that, that govern these, uh, uh, the differentiation of organisms because um, each cell has the same genetic material, the, the DNA and, and uh, the mitochondrial DNA and so on, um, it has the same genetic material, yet the same cells, uh, you know, cells that are um, basically the same and have the same genetic material will turn out to be, you know, one will turn into a, a liver cell, one will turn into a neuron, one will turn into a, a, a muscle cell or whatever, um, they, they can turn into you know, hundreds or, or thousands of different types of cells. Um, and, and the way that the, somehow the cells like know, uh, in quotes, they, they, they know which, um, what type of cell they're supposed to become, uh, in the developmental process. Um, and, uh, um, so yeah, that, that's like a whole, um, field of research in biology is just analyzing the, uh, that, that process of differentiation through which an organism comes to be made up of different types of, of tissues and cells, um, starting from uh, um, a clump of cells that are basically all the same. Um, and so, yeah, so I think Simon Don is, is referring to this kind of differentiation when he talks about uh, the, these uh, differentiation and, and undifferentiation and, and dedifferentiation. Um, and then, uh, and so when he talks about undifferentiation um, or, or undifferentiated tissues, uh, so in the case of the hydra, for example, um, these are tissues that um, uh, from the beginning of the process of development, they, they didn't um, undergo any sort of specialization and, and turn into, um, I don't know, I don't know what organs a hydra has, but like particular, um, like, uh, nutritive organs or, or circulatory cells or whatever, like they, they, um, they just, uh, 
re they retain that that sort of um, undifferentiated form that they had at the early stages of development, um, and it's those cells are the ones that um, that uh, where the budding occurs, where the that turn into the buds that that split off eventually and form a new hydra, um, and then dedifferentiation uh, would be um, uh, a process through which uh, cells that are differentiated in in some organ uh, or some tissue um, uh, sort of revert back to a form in which they don't have that differentiation. Um, so they they were differentiated, but then they uh, that differentiation becomes undone, and then they um, they again take on that capacity to form all kinds of new um, uh, structures, like to undergo further differentiation. Um, and so I, I don't think they they form like a, a sequence of, of phases uh, exactly in in that sense, like one after the other. Um, they um, uh, so uh, de-differentiation and undifferentiation are, are sort of alternate possibilities. Um, so in some organisms, you have undifferentiated tissues that that um, form the basis of, of uh, reproduction through buds or something like that. And then in other organisms, you have um, some kind of de-differentiation process that occurs um, as a sort of preliminary stage of reproduction. Um, so the, they're they, they don't happen um, in sequence in the same organism. They happen um, as alternatives in different organisms. Um, yeah, so I hope that answers the, the first question more or less. Um, and then the second question, the oh, second sorry. question, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I like your explanation. That's exactly what I wanted to, wanted to say. And then you really, really clearly like uh, said that and then, yeah, yeah, it can be like a, Said that there's something linear process. I mean, it's it's not a linear process of phases, something like that. But it definitely, I agree, agree agree with that. And then I, yeah, thank you so much. That's a really clear explanation. Yeah, and then the the second question was about um, metabolism, and so the uh, the difference between some sort of internal metabolism and external metabolism, um, and so. Um, I'm not sure if Simon Do makes uh, uh, and and then the question of, of localization, like what is the relationship between metabolism and, and localization? Um, so I'm not sure if Simon Do makes uh, um, a distinction between internal and external metabolism, but um, I think I think the way that we would sort of make sense of that distinction or or, or try to apply that distinction would be um, like the each cell within an, or, an organism. Uh, has its own metabolism. It it takes in nutrients from uh, from the environment in which it, in inside the body. Um, uh, it takes in nutrients and it excretes waste and uh, um, it, it's it's uh, so it, it undergoes a metabolic process in that sense. Um, uh, and then and that would be an, an internal metabolic process. Um, and then uh, the organism as a whole also takes in nutrients from its environment and excretes waste. Um, and, and so it's, uh, that would be an external metabolic process. So something, uh, a cycle that, that goes outside of the body of the individual organism. 
how that links up with localization, I'm not 100% sure, but um, in the case of um, of this Hydra that um, that Simondon is is analyzing following Rabot, um, I think the the localization issue is so the the question um, of of or why we care about localization is that. Um, on on Weismann's theory um, that makes this strict distinction between Soma and, and German, um, we should find that uh, that only one sort of localized or or one particular um, portion of the organism uh, has the capacity to uh, to perform reproductive functions. So we sh we should find that there is a, a specific reproductive organ which. Um, in which the reproductive functions would be localized, um, and uh, uh, to some extent, that is uh, correct in the case of these hydras. So they they form buds, but only from the specific tissues. Um, uh, and what Rabot argues is that even though it might look um, sort of at a first glance as if this is a case of localization. Um, because because these tissues are undifferentiated, um, it, we have to we can't regard them as some sort of specialized organ of reproduction, um, and so we have to uh, we have to account for that localization in a different way. So we have to give a, an alternate explanation for why um, only these specific tissues form buds, and and Rabot's explanation is is that it has to do with um, um, it has to do with the the uh, metabolism of the organism, like basically that certain uh, uh, um, you know chemical influences in the organism would mean that only certain tissues um, uh, retain that undifferentiated state that allows for the formation of buds, uh, whereas other tissues would undergo differentiation and uh, and wouldn't be able to form buds anymore. Uh, the localization is a product of the overall um, metabolism of the organism in, in which certain chemical substances have uh, different concentrations in different parts of the organism's body. And, and so that, uh, the, the overall metabolism of the organism accounts for this um, uh, apparent uh, localization of the reproductive functions, uh, which Rabot doesn't want to um, doesn't want to analyze as as being like a, a special specialized reproductive organ, but um, as being uh, uh, you know functions of this undifferentiated tissue that um, that it remains undifferentiated for uh, through the workings of the uh, overall metabolism of the organism. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, really, really helpful. And then um, metabolism, like uh, actually you mentioned a little bit why that certain particular parts like uh, react or like, you know, function in terms of metabolism. That's kind of an issue. And then uh, my kind of like a random guess is that maybe that has to do with it later on like a potential, the concept of potential at the end of the day, potential of the, uh, the particular part. Um, ignite, I mean, make it possible to, to, to localize, I mean, if I say things like that. So in that sense, like, uh, yeah, 
your your explanation that fantastic thank you so much yeah you're welcome um uh yeah so angus has pointed out that we're we're getting up to the second hour now of our discussion um and we're still on the first uh page or so that we've read um so maybe we should um move on to the next part um and, and that's not to discourage a uh, discussion of course so um you know, keep, keep, um yeah keep the questions coming but um we'll we'll try to move a little bit faster through the the next um couple pages uh so if someone else would like to read the the next uh page or so of the of the text Um, I can read. Are we at? We're at the paragraph after neotenization, I think, on 201. Yes, I think that's right. So the localization of budding. Uh, okay. The localization of budding is also quite distinct in saltwater hydrozoans. In some hydrozoans, stolons form, which are non differentiated buds. The cenosarc thins and ultimately separates from the original branch when the stolon spreads out. Parasarch thins in the bud, whether propagule or frustule, becomes free with a substrate to which it adheres and on which it slowly creeps. It is only at this moment that it proliferates, proliferates out somewhat from its length. The proliferation rapidly grows perpendicularly to the longitudinal axis of the frustule, and two days later it transforms into a hydranth. The same frustule is in this way, in this way produces several hydrants that remain linked together. We should note that in this procedure of reproduction, there is a veritable synthesis of, synthesis of schizogony and budding. Indeed, the formation of the stolon begins as budding, but instead of proliferating, this bud detaches, which corresponds to a schizogony. Then the detached bud starts to proliferate, which corresponds to a budding. We should further note that this synthesis of schizogony and budding leads to a life form that is intermediate between pure individualization and a life that is so collective and with such strong bonds between individuals, the latter would no longer be anything but the different organs of a single whole constituting the veritable individual. Other cylinderates, such as uh, Campanularia, produce a Frustule that by detaching from the hydrocolis drags along the hydranth under which it is formed. But this hydranth is reabsorbed and disappears as the frustule emits buds. Everything happens as if the activity of budding that generates a new ensemble were incompatible with the conservation of an already formed individual. Perhaps it is necessary to see in this disappearance of the hydranth, a consequence of the de-differentiation. We have seen it work in every reproductive activity, either via schizogony or via the formation of a bud. There is also budding in tunicates where it is complicated by the fact that the bud develops at the end of the stolon and grows in the lower part of the body on an undifferentiated tissue that belongs to the mesenchyme, mesenchyme and is quite locally quite nearly localized in the region of the post-abdomen. Maybe I'll read some of the next paragraph too. Um, this, this stolon is a tube limited 
by the ectoderm and divided lengthwise into two parts by the mesen mesenchymal partition. The stump of the stolon emits several buds, each of which grows and produces uh, an independent ascidian. The active part of the bud is a block of mesenchymal cells originating from the partition. The entire individual is differentiated starting from these cells. The other elements are reabsorbed. In this case, the procedure thus conserves an aspect of budding. It is a budding at a distance that takes place through the intermediary of the stolon. Yet this is nevertheless a budding since the separation only occurs after the differentiation. Uh, budding presents itself in another form that, that poses the problem uh, between the founding individual and the young individual. For example, in aquatic, in aquatic oligocate worms in the Nadidae group, indeed budding occurs in quite a narrowly localized zone on the posterior part of the worm behind a septum. At this level, the elements of the external in integument multiply starting with the ventral side. In what results is a thickening of this wall that propagates around the somite at the same time as a superficial constriction appears following the transversal median plane, revealing a, a relative morphological discontinuity between two individuals. The non-differentiated cells of the intestines multiply along with the elements of the mesoderm that line the segment's cavity. The various organs of a new individual, a zooid, differentiate within the embryonic tissue formed by these cells, with the head appearing in the anterior part of the bud in immediate contact with the tissues of the parent. Often this new zooid, before separating from its parent, in turn buds in the same way. It then constitutes a chain of several single file individuals linked together one after another. Each individual buds in approximately in an approximately continuous way. It even happens that a second zone of proliferation occurs in one of the segments situated at the, in front of the posterior segment. Moreover, it may happen that the undifferentiated zone is established in the last somite higher up. Then the following somites already differentiated before the establishment of the undifferentiated zone do not de-differentiate in order to form the new individual. They immediately form an integral part of the zooid and unite with the homologous tissues originating from the bud. The founder regenerates the removed parts. Yeah, thanks for the, uh, all the biological jargon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is one, one small point of translation, or well, maybe not that small, but it doesn't change the sort of big picture, but there's one, there's a missing negation in uh, one sentence. Um, so right near the end of that last paragraph, so where it says, moreover, it may happen that the undifferentiated zone is established in the last somite higher up. It should be, is not established in the last somite, but rather higher up, something like that. Um, um, so yeah, there's a missing negation there. Um, it doesn't really change the, the big picture very much, um, but um, I just thought I'd point that out. Um, yeah, so I think, so we're looking at here alternate ways in which organisms can reproduce through um, through budding or or fission, um, and and those are there's a sort of continuity from one to the other. Um, so if we have like a, a an organism that 
forms a a, a bud, a small bud that that um, uh, eventually turns into a, another full organism and separates and and goes its own way. Um, we would call that a case of budding. But when we have an organism that separates um, in and forms like a two daughter organisms that are similar in size to the uh, to the initial organism, we would call that a case of fission. But um, that distinction of, of like the size of the the different uh, products of, of the split um, is is a kind of arbitrary one. Um, and Simon Don doesn't want to uh, regard the size of the two components as, as uh, sort of the criterion to use to uh, to to classify reproductive forms. Um, and so what he's looking at here is um, the, the relationship between budding and, uh, and differentiation and de-differentiation. So um, in, in certain organisms, you have um, um, a bud that, that forms, uh, so you have a, some sort of undifferentiated tissue or or whether it's um, sort of primitively undifferentiated like in the case of the hydras or um, whether it's the product of a process of dedifferentiation you have this this tissue that that forms a, a bud and then the bud uh, while it's still attached to the the parent organism the bud uh, undergoes differentiation and and forms a new um, uh, a new body that is um, uh, differentiated like the, the parent body and then the, the split happens. So you have uh, the formation of the bud uh, and then differentiation first and then the split. Whereas uh, in other cases you have um, the bud forms and then the splits off first uh, and then undergoes differentiation. Um, and so that's closer to the case of uh, schizogony in the sort of pure sense. Yeah, so the, the, the difference is the order between the split uh, from the parent organism and the differentiation of, of the tissue into um, a new organism. Uh, so which one comes first? Yeah, so I think the, the sort of big picture is that um, these are... Um, more or less independent functions that so they they uh, um, the differentiation into a new organism and um, the separation from the parent are are uh, independent to the extent that they uh, can happen in either order um, so one one can happen first or the other and uh, so we can't we have to when we are analyzing um, reproduction we can't take uh, one one of these functions as as being uh, sort of determinative and um, uh, as as being like the the fundamental one and the other one as as um, a product of, of the of that one um, so that uh, we have to we have to understand reproduction as involving both of these uh, aspects <clears throat> and um, uh, to the extent that reproduction is uh, characteristic of individuals um, and part of that uh, individual function um, as opposed to the colony function, um, then we would uh, 
um, we would expect the uh, the the split um, from the parents to be like the 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 more fundamental aspect of reproduction. But we find that um, it's it's not actually more fundamental. It, they they they're both equally um, uh, important or or fundamental in uh, reproduction in different organisms. So I think that's the sort of uh, big picture of why we should care about the different, you know, different worms form, forming of buds and so on. And so this reproduction through buds that um, that uh, differentiate first, um, like while they're still attached to the parent organism and then uh, undergo a split of some kind, um, um, this is, is characteristic of... Um, of the the colony form of an organism, so um, like these these polyps or corals or whatever that um, that form these colonies that uh, share a circulatory system, they they will um, they will separate. Uh, well, they they reproduce new uh, organisms that are still attached to the parent organism and uh, that share a circulatory system, so they they don't form uh, a new individual. Um, in the, the strict sense, um, and then uh, it's only in the cases where you have this um, strict or this sort of decisive separation of the the uh, parent organism and the child organism that you um, that you have uh, something like a real individuation happen. Okay, so we can go on to the next. Next bit, if someone else would like to read from thus a definitively undifferentiated zone. Uh, thus a definitively undifferentiated zone separates the individuals that remain aggregated in a chain. These individuals can remain linked together long enough to become almost adults. Uh, we find this in certain uh, turbularians in the Rab Rabdocela subclass which are non-segmented worms related to planarians. I cannot pronounce these words. We can see in this sense how the mode of reproduction is significant in the individual's relation to other individuals. The relation of dependence or independence, independence expresses to a large extent the way the individual has been generated, which is why an important aspect of the inter-individual relation is a form of reproduction even when it spans the whole life of each individual. This is what is particularly important to study in the case where various modes and degrees of individuation appear in colonies. Colonial budding is not always established following the same mode. In fact, there are all kinds of transitions between a proliferation that is nothing but a growth of substance and a proliferation that after producing anatomically and physiologically distinct individuals, on the other hand, leaves them grouped in a mechanical unity. The two borderline cases can be represented in terms of Ascidians uh, and sponges. The Ascidian represents the borderline case in which individuals, while separating from one another, nevertheless remain quite strictly grouped together. On the contrary, sponges represent the borderline case in which an active proliferation yields a simple growth of substance, whereas the new parts seem to be a certain number of individuals. However, even in this case, the individuated state is not completely nullified. It can appear in the mode, it can appear if the mode of reproduction changes. 
the individuated state temporarily reappears at the sponge, produces a bud that detaches. Something that occurs, sorry, something that occurs every now and again. This would confirm the hypothesis according to which there is a link between the appearance of the well-characterized living individual and the functions of amplifying reproduction. The individual is essentially the bearer of the capacity to reproduce, not necessarily to reproduce itself, for it can, on the contrary, reproduce a colony that is not at all comparable to it. As we have seen, the reproduction of Eschidians is performed by a stolon. The stolon expands while anchoring onto a substrate, and then its extremity develops into an individual that detaches from its founder but remains anchored in place. All the stolons originating from the same founder behave in the same way and produce a certain number of buds. What ensues is a grouping of individuals anchored side by side, but independent from one another. Conversely, the sponge, which is at first simple, begins to ramify, and each ramification takes on the aspect of the initial sponge, with a new osculum and inhalant pores. Morphologically, these new parts seem to represent a series of individuals, but the external morphological criterion here is lacking and is shown to be insufficient. These ramifications ramifications remain in complete and definite continuity with the sponge's mass. None of them have the value of a bud. The various regions of the sponge form a new mass, each comprising part of the whole in which no element possesses a veritable autonomy. Let's note, however, that the ensemble of the sponge can hardly be called individual more, than each of its, more so than each of its parts. The various parts are not organs of the individual that would be the sponge, since these various parts are not merely continuous, but also homogeneous. The appearance of new parts is a growth of the quantity of the sponge's living matter, but does not bring about a significant differentiation. Since there is not more in the whole than in the parts, it is difficult to call the whole an individual simply because it is the whole. The whole is not indivisible at all. If, uh, yeah, not indivisible at all. If we remove a part of the sponge that multiplies, the sponge is not mutilated, but diminished. Here we are faced with an absence of structure that not, does not allow us to give the name individual to the whole more so than the parts, nor does it allow us to remove this name from the parts in order to give it to the whole, since the whole is nothing but the sum of its parts, the heap they form. In fact, this extreme case is the one in which individuality belongs equally to the parts and to the whole. The parts do not have a veritable individuality since they are not independent but they nevertheless have a defined form with an osculum, inhalant pores, and certain orientation, a certain orientation with respect to the whole, an orientation that is more prominent in certain species. Uh, thus, there is no absolutely complete continuity between the various parts, and a relative unity belongs to each part despite their lack of independence. Each part is complete by itself and could be self-sufficient. Each part, therefore, possesses a certain virtual individuality that the mode of reproduction does not highlight. Furthermore, the whole also possesses a relative individuality that is complementary to that of the parts. This individuality consists of the rudiments of orientation that seem to direct the genesis of new parts. Uh, they do not come absolutely at random from the old parts, but according to certain directions of privileged growths. The studies that have been carried out until now are not sufficient for us to say with certainty by what force the whole acts on the parts so as to orient them, which thereby produces, despite the randomness of proliferation, ensembles that are not organized but ordered. Uh, the first degree of individuation prior to 
which there is nothing but pure continuity. Indeed, what is quite remarkable is the fact that the individuality of the whole only appears here as a form and not as an organization. Um, but this existence of a form is not negligible since the individuality of the whole consists precisely of what is removed from the parts uh, in terms of their freedom and their capacity to grow in all senses. However slight this influence may be, it is nevertheless a subordination of the generation of the parts and of their growth to the existence and arrangement of the whole. It is the origination of a structure. Uh, the slightest appearance of individuation is therefore contemporaneous with the manifestation of a dynamic structure in the process of a being's reproduction. Um, a reproduction which, moreover, is still not distinguished from growth. Yeah, and, and again, he, he's going into some of the details of um, the specifics of reproduction of these different organisms that uh, we probably don't need to worry too much about. Uh, but... Um, He's representing these uh, these two cases, the clavulin, whatever that is, um, and the sponge as these two um, these two extreme cases. Um, and I think the translation here is not quite correct. Um, um, it calls them borderline cases, I think, if I remember correctly. But anyway, um, yeah, so it uses the word borderline case, but I think what is actually meant here is a, an extreme case. So the sponge and the clavelin are, are two extreme cases of uh, reproduction through budding and um, what that can look like. So in the case of the, the clavelin, we have a, a, the formation of a bud which um, separates from the, uh, sorry, which, which first um, uh, attaches itself to the substrate, to the, the bottom of the the ocean floor, um, I suppose, um, and uh, it becomes fixed in place, and then it um, uh, it separates from the uh, the parent organism, and uh, and so you uh, you you get like a a row of um, of these organisms side by side, um, but they they're. Uh, independent of each other, so they they form sort of individuals um, in that sense. Whereas in the case of sponges, um, you have budding without separation, and uh, um, actually, it's not even really budding in the proper sense because it's it's um, uh, it's just growth, um, and then the formation of a new um, a new set of pores, um, and uh, and so it it's, it doesn't doesn't take on the form of a, a bud that has uh, uh, the capacity to undergo further differentiation. It's just growth in in space, um, and then uh, the formation of these new uh, pores and and so on. Um, uh, and so in the case of the sponges, um, there's no sense in which the any sort of individual um, in question. So even so, the the parts of the sponge are not individuals because they they're incorporated into the, the whole uh, sponge colony. The whole sponge colony is not an individual because it's just made up of all the parts. It has no um, structure really uh, of its own. And the only the 
the only the only sort of qualification of that, uh, the only sort of beginning of a structure that appears is um, is that the shape of the colony is not random, even though each part of the colony uh, sort of reproduces at random just by by growth and um, it. Uh, the overall shape of the colony is not random so that it uh, it retains a certain uh, overall form and uh, and so the state of uh, biology at the time that Simon Don was writing doesn't really allow to um, explain what what is behind this overall structure of the colony and I'm not sure if um, this has been uh, explained since then uh, but um, uh, yeah, the, there's just this very general or, or very superficial um, structuring principle, which uh, which means that the overall growth of the colony takes place in some sort of um, uh, overall form or shape. Um, but yeah, so these are these are two sort of extreme cases of the of the, um, the forms of growth in relation or the forms of reproduction in relation to uh, individuation. So that, that's a 203, what you are talking about is like uh, the paragraph starts, which starts like colonial budding, such and such, and then the two borderline cases, not the two borderline cases, but the two, the two extreme cases, which means like uh, in between there are more more stages or states, right? Uh, yeah, so, so here he only talks about these two extreme cases, um, but yeah, we, we given that he... Um, he, he says uh, there are all kinds of transitions between a proliferation that is nothing but a growth of substance, so that's the case of the, the sponge, and a proliferation that after producing anatomically and physiologically distinct individuals, on the other hand, leaves them grouped in a mechanical unity, and that's the case of the clavulins, um, which I have no idea what exactly that is. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so... There, there are other cases that are in between these two extreme cases. Um, so some sort of uh, intermediate form. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so Angus has posted in the chat the um, uh, Wikipedia page for um, Acidians or um, the Acidea uh, order or, or whatever uh, class, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, so there are these weird uh, under, underwater organisms um, that have these uh, uh, tubes that um, they sort of, they filter stuff out of the water and, um, um, and you know, feed on whatever they, they can filter out of the water. Um, yeah, so that's what an Ascidian does. Um, um, yeah, so let's go on to the next bit here. Where did we finish? Um, right, so we're at the top of 205. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have time to finish this chapter today. We might just have enough time. Um, but yeah, I'll read the next page or so. Furthermore, let's note that if two sponges are very close to one another, the budding that they emit indeed lacks a distinction between the two groups' individuals. This dynamic structure of growth does not pass from one individual to the other. 
The extensions of each sponge remain distinct and do not influence one another, as if this morphological dominance exerted by the whole onto the parts were reserved for them alone and would not be transmitted even by the narrowest proximity. The morphological criterion is therefore important, since it appears at the very first degree of individuality, in a state in which individuality is still fragmentary and does not exist in the whole, except in the slightest perceivable way. Everything happens as if individuality were a measurable physical parameter or quantity with the ability to distribute between the parts and the whole. The more the whole is individualized, the less individualized the parts are. On the contrary, if the parts are almost complete individuals, virtually detachable without requiring regeneration afterwards, the whole is poorly individualized. The whole nevertheless exists as an inhibitor or accelerator of the growth of the parts. It plays a morphological role through its dominance, which is exerted on reproduction. We must regret that studies on the genesis of forms have not been pushed far enough for us to say by which agent these accelerating or inhibiting influences exert themselves and constitute a veritable field of growth in which the individual develops and which it itself involves. The same type of phenomena is present in the vegetal world. Lichens and association of algae and fungi do not develop anarchically. In certain species, the extremities are calloused and endowed with a certain hardness, uh, with a hardness. When light is not very abundant, the forms become comparable to those of plant leaves, such that this vegetal association can be mistaken for a single living plant in the same type of milieu, for example, sedges and ferns. Between the two extreme forms of acidian and the sponge, there are a multitude of degrees of individualization of the ensemble, i.e., according to our hypothesis, a multitude of values of rapport between the degrees of individualization of the parts and the degree of individualization of the whole. Other ascidians produce stolons arrayed more or less regularly, but without their own membrane. These stolons ramify and tangle together in the particularly thick membrane of the parent and then bud within this membrane. The buds partially emerge while developing. The region of the thorax, which includes the pharynx and the peribranchial chamber, has its own membrane and emerges from the parent's membrane. Once they have fully developed, the adults remain in continuity with the original stolon, but lose all functional relation with it. Only the shared membrane joins and maintains them. There is, however, a certain regularity to the grouping. The mere fact of having a membrane and, and more so a common origin suffices to define for all these developed buds an incorporation in the individuality of the whole. Since each individual buds in turn, the colony, which envelops the products of several generations, branches out and can acquire fairly large dimensions. We should nevertheless note that the, this dynamic structure of the ensemble seems to have a certain limit. The whole colony is not organized all of a piece. When it is large, it is formed from several groups distributed at random, but each group represents a certain order. These groups, which truly indicate the dimensions of the group's individuality for the species considered, are called synobia. So here is just um, the point that we were just discussing um, a little while ago, that there are intermediate forms that are between the case of the acidian and the sponge. Um, uh, which are the the extreme cases. Um, so we have um, certain uh, certain other forms, other ascidians that um, reproduce uh, new uh, individuals, but um, or quasi individuals, um, but they they don't have their own membrane, so they reproduce inside the membrane of the parent individual. Um, and they produce uh, um, some sort of uh, tangle of these different individuals um, within the membrane. 
and then yeah so they they um um they have a shared membrane with the parents um but then they they um have no functional um no functional relationship with the parent anymore so they don't have a shared circulatory system or anything like that yeah so then we have uh uh and he also points out um that similarly to the uh to the uh the case of the uh sponges we also have um in um certain plants and uh in the case of lichens um and lichens are extremely weird uh um sort of beings you can't even call them organisms because they're an association of of two different um organisms so it's a uh algae and fungi that sort of uh, grow together um, and uh, and that allows them to, the, the association of these two organisms allows them to uh, live in environments in which neither of the, the two associated organisms could live on their own. Um, and they've sort of, they've co-evolved um, through this association so that they, um, they can live on uh, like bare rock, for example, um, uh, where you you couldn't find the just the the alga or the uh, fungi um, on on its own. Um, yeah, so that's sort of an aside, but yeah, you have um, a similar um, um, form of growth. So the the lichen just grows um, uh, sort of in, in in size, and it doesn't uh, split off in the way that um, it doesn't form buds and split in the way that other organisms do. Um, but it, uh, it doesn't, it, it still has the, the, the total um, group of, of lichen um, has a, a certain form. And so in uh, environments with low light levels, it forms something like a leaf um, that looks like a, a plant leaf um, um, and and which helps to absorb more sunlight. Um, so um, so the the total group of, of lichens um, or the clump of lichen matter or whatever is not just a sort of random association. It, it has a a, a structure um, at the level of the whole. So it's a, a sort of beginning of individuation at that level. Day, like nothing comes up all of a sudden, right? Like out of a blue. Everything has a kind of a continuity. I mean, in terms of species, everything like has a continuity, right? Like it comes after and after it passes down and down and things like that. Um, yeah, so that's that would be true, um, uh, or that would be largely true in evolutionary history, so that each um, each organism uh inherits from its parent organism uh it, most of its uh, features uh, or or properties or whatever you want to call them um so that uh, most most organisms would be similar to their parents in most respects um but what what can happen is that um uh in in the history in the evolutionary history you can have um say two extreme forms uh, and then all the intermediate forms can die out so that you only have the extreme forms left over. Um, so like it, it could be 
at some point in the future, we, we might only have these ascidians and sponges and not have any of the intermediate forms. Um, and, and then there would be this, this sort of uh, um, a gap or a, a jump in terms of the uh, degree of individuation uh, from, from the sponges to the ascidians. Um, so that, that possibility of, or, of uh, certain organisms dying out uh, means that you can still have something like a, a gap or um, a jump uh, in terms of the properties of, uh, of organisms. Yeah, and the whole issue of um, intermediate forms, this was like when the theory of evolution and, and the Darwinian theory in particular was, uh, was being introduced and, and debated. Um, this was a, one of the points that Darwin himself uh, recognized as being a, a sort of a, a weak point of his theory or, or a difficulty for his theory um, was that... Um, did it, was the absence of intermediate forms between certain types of organism, uh, like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but, um, well, in the case of humans in particular, this was uh, one of the um, difficulties at the time. So before most of the uh, uh, fossils of early hominids that we now have uh, were discovered. So Darwin, of course, uh, argued that humans had a, a, sh a shared common ancestor with apes, um, but there's there's no like sort of half ape, uh, half human organism or something intermediate between a an ape and a human um, that was uh, that was known at that time, and uh, and so this was a, a sort of difficulty for the theory, um, and it turns out that of course there were. Um, uh, other hominids before modern humans that um, in some respects are, are closer to um, today's apes uh, in, in terms of um, uh, brain size, for example. Um, but uh, um, they also resemble humans in other respects, uh, like um, the bipedal posture. Uh, so, yeah, the, there was a, a sort of... Um, uh, a search for um, the issue of intermediate forms. Uh, so the fact that there, the intermediate forms had all died out uh, means that uh, there was a, a sort of gap in the uh, continuity of nature. On page 204, like a, in the, like from the bottom, one, two, three, four, around the, like a ten, 10 lines from the bottom, there's what fools the whole acts on the parts so as to orient them, which thereby produces, despite the randomness of proliferation, ensembles that are not organized, but ordered, blah, 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 and the continuity. So, uh, actually, just kind of a, what force like, makes, this, makes everything possible. Still, we don't know, right? We don't know about that, right? Just like uh, what I think from this part is like Simongdong seems to just like uh, advocate the idea of like uh, there's no missing links like in terms of continuity like in terms of like evolutionary theory right but still like we don't know exactly what force make everything possible um so when he, when he refers to continuity here he's referring to um organisms like the sponge um where um uh, actually, well, sorry, it would be something even less structured than the sponge. So the sponge has the first sort of um, uh, stage or the first sort of glimmer of uh, 
individuation in that the whole um, the whole colony of sponges has a, a certain overall shape um, and um, um, so we could um, we could picture uh, I'm not sure if there are any organisms like this but um, uh, an organism that would be like a sponge but without having anything like a, a general shape of the colony so that the the aggregate of the organism would just um, grow uh, sort of at random and, and there would be no sort of overall shape of the, the aggregate. Um, that's what he means by continuity. Uh, so it's organisms that, that don't um, reproduce new individuals, they just grow um, in, in size. Uh, um, and, then, and then he says that the sponge, the, the way that the sponge um, colony has a, its determined shape is just one, is the first degree of individuation um, above that level of just pure continuity. Um, so that uh, it's the, that uh, structure of the, of the whole or that shape of the whole um, that uh, is the first degree of individuation above, uh, above the, the degree in which there would be no individuation at all. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, in this case, um, <clears throat> in this case, we do have um, the intermediate forms, like they, they do exist, um, but that's a, a, a contingent fact. It's just, um, um, it happens to be the case that the, uh, the intermediate forms didn't die out historically, um, but it, it could have happened that the intermediate forms died out and, and we would have like um, uh, a jump in the degree of individuation from from zero individuation to um, a much more uh, a much more strongly individuated organism. Okay, so I think we might just have time to finish the whole chapter if we um, sort of read read through everything in one go. Um, so um, if someone else would like to read, I think we're at um, a similar process of reproduction on page 206. Oh, let me read. Sure, go ahead. A similar process of reproduction takes place in hetero heterocarpora, glomerata, which generates stolons that are reabsorbed when the new individual has been born. A single membrane remains that strictly maintains the products of several successive generations tied together. Here again, the mode of reproduction is indeed what determines the specific degree of individuality linking the regime of individuation back to that of reproduction. Reproduction in Golden Star tunicates, Buritellus, sorry, takes place in a different way that leads to a different regime of individuation. Reproduction takes place through a very short stolen, whereas in polystylenes it grows to 1.5 centimeter. The integral, <coughs> sorry, integrally transforms into an individual. The birds then form clearly delimited synovia. The whole colony derives from the first individual that begins to bird before having reached adulthood. Afterwards, this birding occurs systematically until four birds of the same generation alone remain those that would support them having been reabsorbed. These birds are arranged into crosses in such a way that their uh, clo 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 
converge the coolies into a shared how, how do I read this one? Cloca? Closa? Cloca, Cloaca, right? Cloaca, yeah. Cloaca around which thank you. The successive generations are grouped as and when older generations disappear. Where reject is an important agglomeration of individuals that completely possesses all the organs, most notably the heart, that make an autonomous life possible. However, the autonomy of the individuals is not full-fledged. They conserve vascular relations between each other. A circular vehicle, a ves vesicle, surrounds the uh, synovium. Each individual has a heart whose whose beating is not uh, synchro, synchro, synchronous with the beating of the others. In this sense, there's a regime of reproduction in which a clear morphological dominance of the whole over the parts manifests by way of a fairly rigorous symmetry embedding and then by way of a circular form of the uh, synovium during its development corresponds to a colony in which the individuality of the whole is quite clearly prominent to the point of creating vascular relations between the individuals. Continue. Uh, continue? Yeah, you, you can continue. Yeah. In slant rates, the formation of the colonies is a frequent phenomenon. The majority of hydroids produce a large number of stones that arise beneath of the hydrants and then stretch, stretch out and ramify without detaching from the founder. By ramifying, they emit lateral birds that transform into hydrants and in turn sprouts are stolen. This ramification is indefinite, and an equally indefinite colony corresponds to the indefinite process of reproduction. We should, however, note a very important but poorly stated fact in order to be able to found a theory on it alone. Certain ruptures are produced in this indefinite ramification that lead to collective individuals and limited colonies, as in the previous cases, in which we saw the colony produce via proliferation that a single colony of indefinite dimensions, but synovia of limited dimensions. Everything happens as if a certain quantitative limit produces an elementary morphological in induction that divides the colony into restricted groups. A certain phenomenon of individuation, therefore, seems to arise even within the process of growth which here are not separate from those of reproduction. Havel considers these ruptures as accidental and not physiological. physiological. He separates them from the ruptures of short stolons, which he qualifies as, qualifies as physiological ruptures. But the conditions of these physiological ruptures are as poorly understood as the ones that interrupt the continuity of development. Thus, there is no irrefutable reason that forces us to oppose so-called accidental ruptures to physiological ruptures. Perhaps they depend on one another in the same way as the processes of reproduction conceded, and it's a dynamic structure which presides over the establishment of the anatomical or physiological structure of the colony or groupings of individuals. Within one of the groups of hydrants, sinusoric, uh, it remains continuous along the hydrocolus, thereby putting into relation all the hy hydrants through the system of channels that crosses it. In this sense, certain physiological bonds and the nutritive community in particular are established by the, this morphological continuity that is itself accompanied by a continuity in the process of reproduction. And yet, in direct nature of this continuity leaves the hydrants 
with a certain degree of functional autonomy. Continue. Uh, yeah, we just got a couple of uh, oh, sorry. So. sorry, sorry, this is alarm. The form okay. of the colony is in general a collective the mode of reproduction, thus in other colon traits, like high-rising cities, the stolen cliffs along the ramifies while remaining strictly in con contact with the substrate. This is how it forms a network without any erect branches. The birds are born and grow perpendicular to this network, thereby transforming into elongated hydrants. How do I do? Continue. Uh, yeah, we just got one more paragraph left in this uh, in this chapter, so let's uh, let's continue. Uh, in Hexacorelia, birds arise directly at the expense of the wall of the body of, of the skeleton that serves as a point of support. Colonies take on quite varied forms. But these forms are in relation, in relation with the mode of generation, thereby allowing for the uh, recognition of species. In the immense colonies of metropores, which form coral leaf, the existence of polarity is quite prominent. Development often takes on the form of extremely ramified branches that follow the orientation of the whole, which indicates a relative morphological individuality of the colony. The aesthetic aspect of this coral ramification seems to indicate that this morphology is not arbitrary. This morphology could be likened to the way in which certain complex efflorescences form, like those of ice, which is not independent from the characteristics of the substrate on which it forms, yet uh, which it deploys forms in harmony with the laws of crystallization. Perhaps. It would be necessary to seek in the kinship of form the functional analogies that link together a large number of processes of individuation belonging to extremely different dom domains. One aspect would be shared by all, the identity of the process of growth, which would be the uh, creation-organized ensemble based on the self-constitutive schema that responds to a dynamism of growth and to the initial givens depending on chance. The same law could then be found again in the growth of the efflorescence, in the development of the tree, in the, form, uh, in the formation of a colony, and even the genesis of mental images, as if the dynamic dominance would give a structure to ensembles based on the singularity. A morphological analogy could reveal the identity of the process of, of formation of collective individualities. In each case, the structure of the individual would be linked to the schema of its genesis. And the criterion, perhaps the very foundation of the individuated being, would reside in the autonomy of this genetic schema. Yeah, thanks. Um, that was a long bit with lots of um, lots of biological terminology that um, I don't really know exactly what it means. Um, you know, talking about these different species of organisms and their uh, their structures and so on. Um, um, so here we're still um, going through some of the different uh, different modes of reproduction of these different organisms, um, um, and the the relationship between the modes of reproduction and the degree of individuality of those of those organisms. Um, so um, you have these. Um, golden star tunicates that um, um, that reproduce through forming uh, 
the stolon that um, that transforms into an individual, um, and um, um, so you have uh, a whole colony that forms from uh, out of buds um, of a of starting from one sort of founder individual, um, and um, um, yeah, so they, they, the colony takes on the form of, uh, of a, a cross because it, it, in each generation there are four, um, four individuals that, uh, or four buds that form and, and form these new um, stolons. And, and, uh, and so the colony has a, a cross form. And um, um, yeah, and then the older generations die, while the the elder generations um, are are still alive. And um, um, yeah, so the there's a, a, a overall form of the colony, but each individual um, has its own uh, function uh, as a living being, including its own heart. Um, um, but they they also have um, um, they also have some functional relation to each other. So they um, they have uh, a, a shared circulatory system, but each of them has its own independent heart. So they they um, nutrients and and uh, and waste and everything circulate um, throughout the the colony, um, but. Uh, each each individual within that colony has its own heart that that uh, pumps uh, on its own rhythm, and, and so they aren't synchronized with each other. So this is a um, um, this is a, a an intermediate stage. So you have um, what are are uh, to some extent individuals um, because they have their own heart and uh, their own. Um, uh, vital functions um but they also are incorporated into a, a larger grouping that has its own structure that that uh, cross shape and um the uh uh the shared circulatory system um and then you have other forms uh, other organisms that um have this sort of indefinite formation of a, a colony so the the colony doesn't have this um rigid structure like in the case uh, that we just saw with the cross shape um so the uh the individuals um in these uh hydroids um they uh they form uh buds more or less at random or or sort of indefinitely they don't have a, a specific um structure but um um it's uh, it's not actually strictly random. Um, like if you look at the the shape of a coral reef, there's a, a sort of branching structure, um, which uh, um, again is not is not a fully random. They don't just appear randomly, but there's a sort of spreading out of the the organisms, and it, it's you can compare it to the branches of a tree that. Um, they the split of a, a branch is not random. It it uh, it um, it's the the branch uh, splits in such a way that the surface area is maximized, um, so that um, um, as much as much uh, surface area is available to absorb sunlight as possible, um, and uh, and so you have similar 
sort of branching structures in the case of, of these corals and so on. Um, and then he even, um, uh, I'm just going to skip ahead to the, the last bit, he even um, suggests that the um, association of ideas or the, um, the, uh, the genesis of mental images um, has a similar sort of branching structure as the, uh, uh, the growth of a coral colony or, or the branches of a tree. Um, so that there's um, um, there's some sort of shared schema or um, overall structuring process that that we we can find in the growth of a coral colony or in the um, the development of mental images um, from one image to the next uh, and that sort of branching structure um, and so it's that. Uh, that schema of genesis, um, which is uh, sort of characteristic of an individuated being. Um, so it's it's the fact that there's something like uh, an overall schema um, that that is what characterizes a, uh, an individuated being as opposed to just a, a collection of entities. Um, but yeah, so he, he gives us this sort of hint towards the uh, psychic individuation that we'll get to in the next chapter uh, or the next uh, part of the book, I should say. Um, and uh, um, the relation between vital individuation and psychic individuation. Uh, I guess like uh, maybe that in that chapter, we can also figure out like, uh, what singularity at the end of the, the part um, of the, today, like singularity or, or the autonomy of this genetic schema, something like that, uh, regarding um, kind of a force, I, even though like you explained it really well, still I can't figure out what force like makes everything possible. So I think that has to do with the singularity or the, the autonomy of the, the schema, the genetic schema, something like that. Maybe you can figure out later, like um, in relation to like, as you said, the psychic individuation process, something like that. Yeah, I think that um, we'll, we'll have a better sense of what this um, schema uh, means when we get to psychic individuation. Um, so yeah, let's, that's, it's a good question, but let's hold on to it and uh, try to answer it when we get to psychic individuation. Um, yeah, so we're at time. So let's end here for today and we'll pick up from uh, page 208. So the beginning of chapter three of this part uh, next time. So yeah, thanks everyone. Um, yeah, we, I think we had a really good discussion today and, and some, some really good questions. So uh, thanks uh, and see you all next week.